0: Welcome to the Awaken, Heal, and Thrive Podcast. I'm Benjamin Bernstein, and today's episode is called Divine, Messy, Human, The Amanda Kate Interview. In this very special episode, I'm honored to interview the extraordinary human being known as Amanda Kate. She's the author of the wonderful book called Divine, Messy, Human, A Spiritual Guide to Prioritizing Internal Truth Over External Influence. She's also a kinesiologist, mentor, archetypal life coach, mother, and much more. I'll tell you more about what Amanda and I will be talking about in just a moment. But first, this episode is sponsored by my book, the number one Amazon bestseller called Instant Divine Assistance, your complete guide to fast and easy spiritual awakening, healing, and more. Just go to Amazon and search for Instant Divine Assistance or click the link in the show notes. I publish both audio and video versions of Awaken, Heal, and Thrive, so take your pick. The video versions are on my YouTube channel called Benjamin Bernstein Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Awaken, Heal, and Thrive wherever you get it. And if you have not already, be sure to click the link in the show notes for a free chance to win a full year of my Awakening Plus online membership. That's a $189 value and I announce a new winner every month. In fact, I announce our February 2023 winner in this episode. Stay tuned for that. Highlights of today's fascinating 64-minute interview with Amanda include how insights gained from her agonizing decision to end a toxic marriage and realizing how much abuse she had suffered changed her self-perception from fundamentally flawed to fundamentally human. How kinesiology succeeded when western medicine failed to cure serious physical and mental challenges inspiring her to help others heal by becoming a kinesiologist herself moving past religious intermediaries to experience the god within you the positive role of anger to expose boundary violations especially for women Why it's so important to complete and release our stress responses. Using emotional fluency to identify and befriend all your emotions. When to shift a challenging emotion and when to sit with it. How the truth has 144 sides, holing, w-h-o-l-i-n-g versus healing. How your troublesome wounded parts are actually trying to help you. Amanda's favorite technique to regain your calm center, it's so simple. The critical importance of being of service to rather than in service to. Why serving and loving ourselves empowers us to optimally serve and love others. Understanding self-love is a skill that can be strengthened and how it can be gritty, hard, and firm in setting and enforcing boundaries. Why your comfort zone is better understood as your known zone. How to stay alert to the many ways your internal guidance can nudge you onto the best path and how shadow work can help you embody the light that you really are. This conversation with Amanda Kate is loaded with life-transforming insights. Let's dive in. Welcome to Awaken, Heal and Thrive. I'm Benjamin Bernstein, your host, and I'm super excited today to have a very special guest. Her name is Amanda Kate. She hails from Australia, and let me just tell you a little bit about her as we start so you can get a sense of how awesome she is. She is the author of the book called Divine Messy Human. A Spiritual Guide to Prioritizing Internal Truth Over External Influence. We'll definitely talk about that. She is a kinesiologist, a mentor, an archetypal life coach, a mother, and much more. She describes herself as a recovering people pleaser and self-flagellator. She walks the path straddling the divine and messy daily, always growing, developing, and learning new ways of being to hopefully one day leave the earth better than she found it. She helps people regain their vitality, smashing through their internal glass ceiling and limitations to find new levels of health, vitality, and abundance. She also works with business owners to increase their vibration and attract greater wealth and prosperity. She lives in Melbourne, Australia, with her twin flame, her children, his children, and a dog named Zeus. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome, Amanda. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah. And just to let people know how I found you, uh, we're both uh, subscribers to a service called Podmatch, which links up (laughs) podcast hosts and podcast guests. And I got solicited by a lot of people when I first signed on, (laughs) probably 20 people. Oh, have you on your podcast? I I said, this one looks the juiciest and most amazing. So (laughs) thank um, you. (laughs) I picked her out of a, a select group um so for starters um why don't you just give us a condensed version of a little bit of your own journey because you went through so much difficulty to get to the conscious space you're in and I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of people could relate to your story and and of course as a woman you've got your own unique experience but I'm mm-hmm. telling you guys you're going to find things to relate to here as well <laughs> if you don't mind sharing I, just a little bit about your journey. Of course
1: absolutely I don't think anyone comes into the healing arts or coaching or any of those kind of uh, career paths, shall we call them, without some kind of adversity and traumatic events. So I think to start with, that's always something to understand about most people who enter these spaces is that they've gone through stuff. That's how they do the work that they do in the way that they do it. Um, So, you know, my childhood was pretty amazing. I you know, was white, Church of England, raised middle class, loving parents, mum stayed home, dad went out to work, like very traditional family. And I don't think I realised until a bit later how some of that stuff affected me, the strictness, the guilt, shame and blame aspect of the religious undertones, Um, the sometimes hypocrisy of, you know, you go into church and, you know, you're holier than thou and a devout Christian and then you come out of church and there's racism and homophobia and all those other isms and obias that we have there and then went through high school again towed the line got good grades didn't veer outside my little acceptable realm of behavior and that was the good girl I didn't want to get in trouble. I was terrified of getting in trouble. Um, I hated being shouted at. I hated any kind of, you know, conflict being directed at me. It just scared the hell out of me. And so I walked this very narrow line and then went to university, ended up working for my dad for a bit and then travelled to uh, the UK with my sister and met my now ex-husband You know, married, two children, perfect life, so to speak, on the outside. And I was miserable. And I'm going, I've got, you know, this rich, successful husband. I've got these two beautiful children. I've got a nice big house. we have got international travel. But my soul was not happy not at all, and I ended up getting very, very sick. In um, 2011, we emigrated back to Australia because he was made redundant from his, uh, or the role was made redundant. And when we got back here within about 12, 18 months, I started getting chronic fatigue, which I didn't know was chronic fatigue at the time. And so I was filled with anxiety, which again, I didn't recognize as anxiety. I had chronic fatigue, which I didn't recognize as chronic fatigue. I just knew I wasn't coping. I just knew something wasn't right. And I was seeing all these doctors and they're doing the blood tests and everything's fine, you'll be fine, you're the healthiest sick person we know, almost implying how much of this is in your head. Um, and I think the thing that really got the alarm bells, you know, and red lights flashing was I went to a gynecologist because I'd been suffering for 13 days a month with my menstrual cycle, which, by the way, if anyone is, that's not normal, by the way. Go get it checked out. And the guy tried to hand me antidepressants. And I was like, hmm. And he said, well, you've done everything else. That's all we can do. And we can't give you a hysterectomy because you're too young. And I'm going, This cannot be right. Like my brain is going, this just doesn't make sense to me. There's got to be something else. Like we've got how many years of human wisdom behind us and you're saying if I don't take these pills in this packet, then just deal with it until you hit menopause. Like this is not okay. And again, all of these things that people were saying to me were like, oh, it's all in your head. And I'd been told that by my ex-husband my whole life. That this was in my head that I was imagining the way he spoke to me, that I was imagining what was going on in our relationship, that it was all, you know, my fault and there was something wrong with me. And so having all of these professionals and external people telling me I was the problem, I ended up going to a psychologist and getting, well, to my doctor, getting a mental health care plan, going and seeing a psychologist and the receptionist there literally changed my life she said to me look we can't get you in for four weeks to the psych we can't get you in for six weeks to the mindfulness course you want to join you sound like you're under a lot of stress who's got your back and I just crumbled Mm. I'm like you're the first person to ask me about my relationships and she said how about you try a kinesiologist and I'm like what what's that I've got no idea book me in I need help. I'm broken. I need to be fixed to save my marriage. Get me in. And that was life-changing for me. In that first session, she said, you have no idea how emotionally abused you are, do you? Hmm. And it made sense with some major relationships in my life, but I didn't see it in my ex-husband for four months and it took me another four months after that to leave. But within six months of that session, I was studying kinesiology because I went, There is something to this, this mind, body, spirit connection. And that was the doorway, I guess, that I walked through all because of this earth angel on the other end of a phone going, Have you thought about kinesiology? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it was like, Whoa. So yeah.
0: Wow. Thank you. That's so compelling. <laughs> Oh, I have to talk now. I just want to listen some more.
1: I <laughs> know. <laughs> I get. Um. I get on it. <laughs>
0: cool. Let me just praise your book.
1: Uh, remind us of the title again. Divine, messy, human: A spiritual guide to prioritizing internal truth over external influence.
0: Yeah, and that is on Amazon, and it's in Kindle Unlimited, mm-hmm. so anyone there can yes. read it as part of the membership. Yeah. Um, and. I've read a lot of spiritual books, folks, and I was really impressed with Amanda's. Um, Now, again, I didn't quite read to the end. I didn't quite have time, but um, my sense, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that your focus is very much psychological. Mm -hmm. Your focus on is very much what can you do in your daily life, how can you think differently, act differently, perceive differently to have a more harmonious life, Mm -hmm. and all that, of course, feeds into deeper spiritual awakening.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's that a, a beautiful summation. Absolutely. Okay. I think that I think the psychological part for me came to I had this deep desire to know how it ended up where I'd ended up. Mm. Because everybody had told me I was crazy. Everybody had told me that I was wrong, that I needed to change, that I was the problem. And in some ways, yeah, they were right. They were absolutely right. But the way I took that advice was that there was something fundamentally flawed within me, mm. and that was not the case at all. Right. What it was was I was fundamentally human, and I was trying to keep myself safe and be alive to the next day.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and so coping, coping the best in your health.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All of those unresourceful behaviors at some point kept me safe and kept me alive the next day and when i understood that it was like ah oh, it's all falling into place now i'm not crazy there's no crazy in there
0: right there's an author you reference in your book um the proper name has escaped me but he talks about how trauma is not just personal life it's not just mm-hmm. your your immediate family and group it's the society yeah and you probably know who I'm referring to if you if Yeah,
1: Dr. Name. Gabor Mate.
0: Yes, yes. I love his Yes. Book. And oh. um, and so the trauma the traumas you describe, like from the Church of England upraising and all that kind of thing, mm. the just the societal repressive and the, the ideas they view as mainstream and good mm. are so damaging to everybody, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. about denying our fundamental humanness to strip away everything but the piety and the godliness. Mm -hmm. And yet you look at the behaviours and it's not walking walks and talking talks. It is what they've tried to do is separate God from us and not just you know, the Church of England, almost every religion Mm -hmm. has separated God from us, put intermediaries in there. So Mm -hmm. you have to go via your guru, via your priest, via whomever else it is, or via even Jesus. Mm -hmm. You've got these stepping stones to get to God. And we all have God within us. Mm -hmm. That's the first bit that I was like, well, hang on a minute. You know why can I hear him in my head or why can I feel you know well hear him or her because actually I don't believe God is gendered it is a it is an energy right which is completely ungendered but I can feel that in nature I can feel that when I walk into a church actually mm. I can without people in it of course <laughs> that messes up the energy. <laughs> But there's this, there's this stripping away of our humanness. It was like let's deny the pleasures of the flesh. Let's deny that we even have flesh. And let's simply pull it into this intellectual way of living. But in denying our body, we are denying the very vehicle that walks us through this world. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah because that's where we get all of our clues, all of our insight, all of our connection to everybody.
0: Yeah, I'm remembering one part of your book, you you have a great section on emotions and emotional fluency. Mm. And you talk about how anger is one of your very favorite emotions to work with. Mm. Because yeah. anger lets us know when we are being violated, when something is out of kilter and needs correction. Mm. And it took me a while to get that. Um, yeah, But I totally understand now that in fact, there's a story about the great uh, spiritual master uh, Muktananda, who mm. is, a, is in a line in India. And there's stories of him just raging through his ashram, just screaming at the top of his lungs at someone. And then he'd be done and he'd be fine again, you know. Yeah. But even yeah, yeah. even a great spiritual master can just blow into anger when it's appropriate and then come yeah. right back out, right?
1: And I think that's it. It's appropriateness. Most of the way that we deal with our anger is completely inappropriate because what we do is we emotionally vomit and project onto other people and then the reason we've done that is because it feels active at the time and Mm. we'd prefer to do that than to actually look at why we're angry because Mm. anger often also hides our hurt. And mm-hmm. we prefer to be angry than hurt because it feels like we're doing something about it. It's an active emotion, which is, I think, and look at how many people are taught to suppress it. You know, women women who show anger, and you certainly better not be an angry woman of colour, for starters, mm. let alone an angry white woman. You know, then you mm. get labelled a Karen or, a, you know, whatever else. But right. also men. Men are now being taught not to show their anger, but men Inherently, going back to that tribal thing, the men stood in front of the women who stood in front of the children. That's how we got the tribe to live to the next day. Mm-hmm. And, and that anger was necessary. That fight inside was necessary. That divine masculine who stood and in his power, and he didn't use anger unnecessarily. He used it in this beautiful, rich way, and we all have those archetypes within us, by the way, the man, woman, child. Mm -hmm. So we all have appropriate anger. We all have that need to protect the children, and we all have that inner child. So it's not like, you know, this is gendered. It's the archetypal side of things. And that anger is so necessary for us to understand when our boundaries have been violated, Mm -hmm. when we do need to stand up, when we do need to say, that is not the way we treat people. That is not the way we behave. That is not the way when we love each other that we should be treating one another.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Gabor Mate and Peter A. Levine also Mm -hmm. talk about how in the animal kingdom, you know, when there's a fight, the animal goes into full on anger and, you know, fights for everything. Yeah. And then when the conflict's over, they shake. Mm. They're done. And they're yeah. they've cleared all the, the trauma of that moment and they're just fine again. But we humans rarely do that, right?
1: Well, we don't finish our stress responses. We store them in our bodies and then we wonder why we're so sick and unhealthy and unwell and Mm -hmm. spiritually disconnected and emotionally stunted because we're not finishing those stress responses. We're interrupting them, you know, don't show your anger, pull up your bootstraps, soldier on, get on with it, brush yourself off, wasn't that bad, don't be a Mm -hmm. girl, you know. (laughs) Whatever it is, all of those things. And so we are taught to interrupt our stress cycle, pull it back in, and just shove it down somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that energy gets stored, and it comes out somewhere later on.
0: And that forms the basis of all our shadow work. And all that stuff we haven't worked all the way through is locked (laughs) down there, right? Then we got to find some way to clear it out. Mm, 100%. Um, so so one thing I love on my podcast, if possible, is mm. i love to give listeners tools that they can use like on their own just to like right now. Is there is there a simple tool that you would recommend that a listener hearing this? like, Oh, yeah, I see. I've got that interrupted stress response and that thing is still uncomfortably inside me. Is there something they could do that would be relatively quick and easy to help release that that you would recommend? To them?
1: Absolutely. Do you know my psychologist gave me this? you know ages ago so i don't know where she got it from either but it's about acknowledging and validating your feelings okay mm. i'm feeling angry why am i feeling angry well this is happening that's a pretty good reason to feel angry mm. or or maybe i'm a bit overreacting or whatever it is but that emotion is there for a reason that feeling that sensation is there for a reason so naming that sensation that's sitting in our body is really important Because then we're acknowledging it. We're going, you exist. You are there. Mm -hmm. The same way that when I was getting brushed off by doctors and gynecologists and my ex-husband and my mother and all of these different people who were brushing off the way that I felt, I wasn't being acknowledged and that sucked. Mm -hmm. So think of that toddler who comes up and pulls on your skirt, mum, 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 and you look at them and you go, yes, darling, and they go, huh. And off they run because they've been <laughs> acknowledged right they exist you are there i am there i've got my anchor now i'm safe to go off and play kind mm. of the same with our emotions they're like little toddlers i just pay attention to me i'm telling you something okay darling what are you telling me what is your name and what are you telling me so name it brene brown has some amazing books about emotions to give mm. you names there are, I mean, I have a whole folder of emotion charts with different shades of emotions in them mm. so that we can look at, you know, what shade of anger is it? Is it wrath, which to me is justified anger? I can still hold wrath against my abusers and hold love and forgiveness for them at the same time because I don't justify their actions. I don't condone their actions. So I can hold wrath for them. It mm-hmm. doesn't sit uncomfortably with me. Or is it rage where it's literally red rag to a bull or is it just irritation or frustration? Mm. There's all these different shades of emotion. So the more yeah. language we have and the more we can feel that sensation inside of us and go, okay, what does this feel like? What does this? What would I call this emotion if I had to give it a name?
2: Because
1: mm. even just starting with a what could I call it? Mm. And then you acknowledge that it's there and you go, okay, so why is it there? What's been happening to me? This is sitting there. What's it trying to tell me? And as soon as we acknowledge and validate, often that emotion will shift or we can choose to shift out of it. And other times we might choose to stay in it. But we have a choice then because we've acknowledged it and validated it.
2: Hmm.
1: So that emotion now isn't being fought against and suppressed and hidden away and denied and creating energetic blocks in the body. It's able to flow through us. And we can go, okay, what are you there for? What are you trying to tell me? Do I need to do something extra? Do I need to sit with you a little bit and just breathe with you? Do I need to, you know, ask it?
0: Mm.
1: What do you need? The same as you would with your toddler, you know, pulling on your sleeve.
0: So I see you're addressing the anger as something other than yourself?
1: Yeah, Uh, of course.
0: Yeah. 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 It's just a reaction. Right, and in your book, I remember you say, um, when dealing with strong emotions, don't say "I am angry." In this case, I feel angry. Mm. Okay. And so, what that implies to me. Are you familiar with internal family systems therapy?
1: A little bit, little bit. Yeah,
0: this this resonates so strong. I want to learn more about that. It's, it's so good. I would. It's, it's it's changed my life and how I work with my own clients. Um, but what they say is, we have one self in many parts. So the one self would be what we might call the higher self, the parts that's always in mm-hmm. equanimity, flow and harmony, right? And then even the healthiest, highest functioning humans have dozens of sub personalities. Yeah. Right. And, and some of them are really high functioning and super helpful and others are wounded and traumatized and shut off from yeah. the rest of us. And what they say is deal with each of those. If you can get into self first and then deal with that part and, and in the, you know, I won't get into all the technology they use to address yeah. and burden those parts, but I love their 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 framework of I am not my sub personalities, I am yeah. pure self, and if I stay conscious of myself, I can work more skillfully with any parts that are having a problem.
1: Yeah, because we recognize them as you know, because I. The work I do is very, very similar. We just don't call it that. Right. Um, so the archetypal work I do, the kinesiology work, we work with sub-personalities in kinesiology as well. We just call oh, it different right. things. Um, but, yeah, same kind of thing. It's like who is the eye that is observing this? Who is mm-hmm. the eye that is feeling this? Who is, who is the eye? I? I mean, that is right. one of the big spiritual questions. Yeah. Another way that you can do, if you can't, By going, I'm feeling angry, even if that doesn't feel like it's giving you enough distance, if I turn around and go, Amanda's feeling angry, Mm. because I'm not Amanda. Right. You know, if we want to get really existential and really out there, I'm not Amanda. That's just a name that I answer to, because we kind of need names in this 3D reality. Mm -hmm. But I'm not Amanda. It's something that helps identify me from the other unique souls out there, but what's the I? Who's the I that is noticing? And by saying Amanda's feeling angry, it gives us even more distance to go, okay. Mm-hmm. And then we can bring in those compassionate and empathic parts of ourselves, like that inner best friend, where we can embrace that I understand you're feeling angry, darling. How can I help you? What do you right. need? Right. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's a very IFS-like approach, uh, and yeah. I actually read a book once that mentioned all the different approaches that work with parts of humans, mm. and this is like a multi-hundred-page book. They spend maybe half a page on IFS, right, because there's so yeah. many approaches that, that do this.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's brilliant because yeah. it is. It's really pulling you back into the reality and truth of what is. Mm which is that we are not our emotions. The emotions are sensations we are feeling in our body that are guideposts. Do I want more of this? Do I want less of this?
0: Let's see it. Yeah. Nice. Wow. I I just have to say I'm feeling such great energy right now. (laughs) I'm loving our conversation. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Thanks for holding such beautiful space.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Um, Let me see if I had another follow-up from that. Is there a topic you would like to hit next or should I hit you with a question?
1: I am more than happy for you to direct. I trust you. <laughs> right.
0: The uh, earlier in the book, you say the truth has 144 sides.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm guessing that caught someone's attention just now. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that?
1: I actually heard that quote in um, Eileen McCusick's work who does biofield tuning. And she heard it in one of these, uh, I think it was Johann Bosswinkel's videos Hmm. But to me, as soon as I heard that, I was like, whoa, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Because if we put the truth in the middle and you imagine 144 people standing at different aspects around it mm-hmm. in a, I guess, a spherical type, sub or spherical way, mm-hmm. everybody is going to see that truth from a different side and a different oh, angle. Oh, Nice. And the way that I think about it best in my life is I truly believe in my heart of hearts that my ex-husband has narcissistic personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And he truly 100% believes that I am mentally disturbed, that there is something severely wrong with me because he is perfect. And so, therefore, the problem has to be me and I have mental health issues.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now... When we put, say, our marriage in the center as truth and we look at where both of us are standing, neither of us are wrong.
2: Mm.
1: It's the truth that we see from our perspective of standing around the truth.
2: Right. And
1: everybody who stood around our marriage also sees the truth from different perspectives. Some are closer Mm -hmm. to his side, some are closer to mine, some are underneath, some are at the top. But it's all their truth.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And so this is where that subjective my truth comes from because we can see that truth from this side. And it's the the example I often use is my uncle was a a traffic cop for a number of years out in Australia, and he would interview people who'd seen an accident. And you could guarantee you interview 10 people, you get 10 different stories of what happened in that accident. Mm -hmm. And they would all swear it was the truth.
0: Yeah. I've read the story more than once about this psychology class where they, the very first day the professor deliberately stages the thing where a guy storms in and points a gun at him and threatens him. And the whole thing takes just a few seconds. And then after everyone calms down, he says, okay, that was a staged incident. And mm. now I want you to write down what you just saw happen. Yeah. And every student writes down something a little bit different. And, and there's like a, over a hundred kids in the room mm. all, perceiving the same real life incident, and they all, again, have that different angle on what just happened. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's beautiful. And I think I've read that same instance, actually, in some books. So mind yeah, you, we've probably a, read a lot of the same books. So. I, I suspect we have. We, we seem
0: to have covered similar ground in our, in our journeys in some ways. Yeah,
1: but I find that fascinating. And apparently the reason, I mean, obviously, 144 is one of those sacred numbers. Yeah. But they'd also done some studies around the, the number of 150, which is called Dunbar's number, which is the number of people in, like, old English villages. It right. was the number of people in an army platoon, I can't remember, whatever, or company or something. Social I'm not very social right? Yeah. yeah. So they're looking at how many people that you can know on that kind of cl- – close friend, close acquaintance type Mm -hmm. level. You can know their name and you can know enough about them. And that was village sizes roughly. And then they'd find after it got past about 150, it it was too many. And so it's quite interesting that those two numbers are roughly the same. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. That have been mentioned in that way.
0: Wow. You also, early in the book, uh, differentiate healing from holing, which is spelled Mm -hmm. W-H-O-L-I-N-G.
1: Mm. I'd love for you to address that distinction too. Yeah, this comes from Soul Lookman's work, and I've heard similar, you know, I guess, ideas about, and even before I knew this, funnily enough, I used to say to people that the healing journey is going back and collecting all these pieces of ourselves that we've cut off, we've hidden away, we've repressed and suppressed and denied within ourselves. And you know, bringing them back into the fold and learning how to love them. And so when I read that passage and I've I've quoted it in my book from Soul Lookman about holding, it was like, oh, that's the perfect word for it. That's what I've been trying to explain mm. <laughs> to uh-huh. my clients is this idea that we are going back and we are picking up these things that we were ashamed of or that we've denied and we're looking at them And it's that idea of learning to love those pieces because they have tried to keep us safe. They have tried to protect us. They have tried to help us in the best way that they knew how at the time. Mm -hmm. And at some point in our history they worked, and at other points we may have outgrown them, but we still go back to them because of that conditioning, because of that, you know, I guess, memory, muscle memory, cellular memory that we've got. And if we can look at them and go, yes, you're unresourceful. I don't need you anymore, but I love you for what you've done. Mm. And it's like then that, that part, to call it something, doesn't need to fight against us anymore. And when it rears its head, you can go, are oh, you again? I've seen you and I understand you and I love you. And you're just trying to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm an adult now. I'm Mm -hmm. a grown-up. I have a different way of dealing with this. So I appreciate that, but Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful way to turn the volume down. You know, I mean, I have this voice all the time. Who are you to go and do that? Who are you to do that? Mm -hmm. I know where those voices come from. Right. But I can hear them and go, I understand you're just trying to keep me safe. Right. But I'm going to keep me safe. I'm the adult here.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. In fact, you go into in your book that I'll, I'll just quote your book for a minute. Mm. You say our brains do not distinguish between fact and fiction. They respond to the messages they hear either from external or internal voices. This is why we need to raise our consciousness to become aware of what our internal voice is saying and where we are sending our energy. Thought energy lasts once we put it out into the world. And then a bit later, you say a spell is something mm. said three times with intent. Yeah. And. To me, that that's so powerful. Um, I I told the story earlier on another podcast episode, but uh, I work a lot with ayahuasca.
1: Mm, fantastic.
0: And uh, and there was one ceremony where she was showing me every time a thought came into my mind, I would see a little protoplasmic thought form wriggling out of my forehead into the physical space.
2: Amazing.
0: And she was showing every thought creates a thought form, and these guys, all these guys, want to do is make physically real what that thought is. Mm, she said if you had spoken yeah. it, it would have been a hundred times more powerful. Yeah. And so she absolutely. gave me a very, you know, dramatic, you know, demonstration of how powerful <sighs> thought and and speech is.
1: That, was that like, is so yeah. magical.
0: Yeah.
1: What a beautiful <laughs> that, gift.
0: Yeah, it was amazing. Um. Mm-hmm. So I guess you have to be awake enough to even realize what the internal voice is and what it's saying, right? Mm.
1: So. And sometimes the internal voice isn't speaking in words. It's speaking, you know, as you just described there, that's metaphor, that's symbology. Mm. We don't always get words. I mean, we get sensations in our body. That is still oh. our body speaking a language to us. Sure. We get feelings, which are the result of those sensations, which, you know, again, is it thought, is it feeling, is it behaviour? What I mean, the behaviour is is directed by the thoughts and feelings, but what actually comes first, chicken or egg, is it the thought that creates the feeling and the sensation, or is it the sensation that then starts the thoughts going?
2: Mm. Is
1: it something else? And, and I don't you know, really care which one comes first. (laughs) I want to be able to recognise what is happening in my body, what is happening with those sensations, what are the thoughts that are going through my head at that time, how do they connect, how do they work together, and then what am I externalising in terms of behaviour? But that spelling, if you think of how our language has been and is being hijacked, it is very interesting. When you then look at how society is crumbling and the negativity and fear out there Mm. and you listen to the words being spoken, which are chosen very carefully, and, you know, the one I use as a big example, I don't care about the actual, you know, like meaning of it, but trust the science, Mm -hmm. Now, one, which science are we speaking about? There are multitudes of different sciences to look at. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me to trust the science. And any scientist worth their salt is a scientist because they fundamentally are asking a shed ton of questions to work out how much closer to the truth they can get to. Even Einstein and Darwin was saying, I hope my work is overturned one day. I hope Mm. somebody finds something better than what I've put forward. Mm. That is a true scientist Mm. because you don't want the answer because then you've actually not asked enough questions. Mm. And I love that. And I think, funnily enough, spirituality is not that dissimilar. It's about asking more and more questions to get better and better answers. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anyone I said that.
0: (laughs) I'm afraid it's out there now, dear. (laughs) You want me to cut that?
1: No, I'm joking. It's just because those camps think they're so far apart and they're so not.
0: (laughs) In fact, in my own book, uh, Instant Divine Assistance, you know, I give these uh, invocation technologies to call an awakening and healing and such. But in the book, I say, you know, if you find something that works better than this, Mm. let me know so I can start teaching it, incorporating it and and drop this stuff like a hot potato if you find anything Mm. that works better. You know, yeah. so I guess that's a little bit of that same spirit of, you know, use the best tool you got right now, but always stay open to better tools.
1: Right? Yeah. Because the of, analogy I use yeah, is about uh, think of your big hardware store. Mm-hmm. You know, some people will drive past and, oh, that's not for me. Some people will drive past and not even see it. Mm-hmm. Some people will go, oh, in Australia, they have sausage sizzles out the front. So, you know, some people will drive into the car park and buy their sausage. Okay. And off they go. And that's as far as they'll go in. I know, for example, in that hardware store, I can buy everything I need Mm -hmm. to build a big mansion, a big house, whatever I want. I can build it from that. I just don't know how to use all the tools, but I know they're in there. Mm -hmm. So I want to learn them. I want to find them. I want to discover them. Some people will be happy in the gardening section or the painting section. Mm -hmm. And the way I got to this was the fact that my son, when he was little, would go and get his Fisher-Price toolkit to come and help me with my adult jobs. Mm. So when I see people acting unresourcefully, I see them in that little overalls and t-shirt <laughs> he was wearing, going and getting their Fisher Price toolkit to deal with the adult jobs. Right. But there are all there's all this spectrum that we could do just using the hardware store analogy of which bits people are willing to dive into. And some people get stuck in one section. Some people don't even, you know, enter the store. Mm -hmm. But whatever it is, they're just at their path on the journey. And I love what you say because you're like, I know there could be a better tool for this job. Mm -hmm. So help me find it. Teach me what it is because I'm open to learning. And that is that scientist. That is that true spiritual person because, let's face it, a lot of our tools are relatively scientific. We're looking at what are those sensations? What are we going to add to it or remove from it to be able to change that sensation? Mm. That's like, you know, adding acids and bases together to get a different solution or whatever. <laughs> you know, right. it's, not that dis- it's not that different. So I love what you say there. And it shows that humbleness, that lack of ego. I don't know everything. I'm human. Teach me. I'm willing to learn.
0: Yeah, I've had enough areas where, in my earlier arrogance as a younger person, I thought I had the one true way, and this is, oh no, I just found something better. So I, I now believe there's always something better. In fact, one of my mottos is it always gets better than this. Yeah. And you know, but a level of consciousness can't go beyond itself or conceive beyond itself. But once you get to that next level, then a whole new realm of possibility opens. Yeah, I just 100%. love saying. I love saying to people, you can't even imagine how good it can get. now along those lines um Mm. so a premise tell me if this is an assumption i can draw from what you've been saying is the more awake or conscious you stay the more skillfully you can do all this work you're describing right
1: i believe so yes and also i know that the more i know the less i know and the more i want to know
0: exactly so there's always greater (laughs) awakenings available right so i'm just curious um so, in other words, like working with emotions, for example, mm. you have to have some sense of self the yeah. part of you beyond all that emotional turmoil in order to be able to work with it constantly. If you're all covered up in the emotion, then there's no hope until you get clear of it, right?
1: Mm. So Which is where it. we need that external scaffolding. So this, the tools that right. you were talking about, about giving your clients, is I call that internal scaffolding. That's the bit internal that holds us up internally. Okay. That's the bit that supports our internal world that we can do on our own without any external help.
0: And that's my question. What, what strategy do you recommend to people to get their center back, to get more conscious, to get more awake when they are in a bit of a muddy mess? What is there Mm -hmm. like one simple thing you recommend that people do to get that, that clarity back?
1: Stop and breathe is usually the first thing I suggest. Okay. If we, stop and do four big, deep breaths, we physiologically move our body from sympathetic response to parasympathetic response. Mm -hmm. So from fight, flight, freeze, fragmentation and fawning Mm -hmm. into rest, repair and digest. We come back into presence. Right. And that is the first step I give every single person to stop and breathe. Mm. And when you're here then we can start working on what we actually do. Nice. Now I think it
0: was, uh, maybe it was Gabor Mate who talked about whether you focus more on the inner out-breath makes a difference in how the breath affects you. Are you, do you take it to that level or is it just, just breathing alone is enough?
1: We work. Um, so the in-breath is the feminine breath, Mm -hmm. the parasympathetic breath. The out-breath is the masculine breath, the sympathetic breath. And when you're holding the breath, it is balancing the two. Okay. And so, yes, with certain corrections, we will use the strengthening breath. Mm -hmm. So we will ask the body, you know, We'll get people to breathe in, it holds strong. We get people to breathe out, it holds strong, depending on what they need. And mm-hmm. then you work with the breath to be yeah. able to strengthen it. Sometimes we do need more of the feminine coming in. Again, archetypally, sometimes we need more of that masculine, the yang energy. So which one do we use? Mm, thank mm. you.
0: Yeah, and again, if, if if you're in crisis, probably it's enough just to breathe, right? Not oh. <laughs> worrying about
1: on that, right? And that's one of the things that I always say, you know, as a kinesiologist, my job is to diffuse stress. That's what we do. We diffuse stress from the body. Stress is usually one of three types. It's physical, emotional, or chemical, which creates then electrical stress. So the electrical signals aren't working the way that they should. But it comes down to those three types of stress. My job is to diffuse stress. Hmm. If I'm going concentrate on your in-breath, people will go out later and they'll be like, which breath was it? Was it in or was it out? Oh my god, what? Oh. I've forgotten. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know. No last I'm not I'm not here to create stress. And so again, even and I didn't know this is called habit stacking, by the way, but I always try and get people to do their home reinforcement stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, have your coffee, smell it, taste it, breathe it, turn your phone off, enjoy just that coffee right then in that moment. You know, go outside for your break and get your face in the air. You know, turn the kettle on if you want to make yourself a cup of tea or whatever and then just open a window and breathe air or go outside and feel that air in your face. Sort of do things while you're doing other things in your day. Don't add things to your day because the reason that you're feeling stressed is you've got so many things in your day Mm -hmm. that we don't want to add more. We don't want to make it. Oh, shit, I forgot to say that affirmation five times this morning, so now I've got to do it 10 times at lunchtime or 15 times (laughs) this evening. It gets too much. So, again, yes, I do believe that we need to use the in and the out breath consciously. Mm -hmm. However, I don't want to give those added instructions to people because it's just increasing their stress because they may not remember.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it sounds like you've worked with a lot of clients and you've seen over enough time what works for folks and what doesn't, right?
1: Mm. Yeah. In terms of what my role is, I guess, because as they get, you know, as you know, as we get more aware of what's going on in our body, we become more aware of what's the appropriate tool, what is the appropriate breath. Sometimes I struggle getting air into my body. So then I have to really concentrate on that in breath. Mm. <sighs> and then I've almost got to huh it out to right. try and clear whatever is feeling blocked on that in breath. And so I personally go, okay, that's the one I need to concentrate on. Mm -hmm. Other times, especially with clients, funnily enough, when we're struggling to get them to release, I notice that I can get the air in, but I struggle to get it out. So, again,
0: Mm.
1: I help them shift their energy through my breath.
0: Okay.
1: And I will be very conscious then of, of what is happening with it. But I think when we're starting, it's really good to distill and simplify as much as possible because people are coming to us because they're feeling traumatised, and by traumatised I mean they are not feeling nourished and nurtured in life. They are not feeling like... They are stress-free and vital and vibrant and healthy and kicking goals and all of that. They're feeling stuck. They're usually Mm -hmm. feeling like they need that extra bit of guidance. And that's what I consider the external scaffolding of those professionals that we work with to help shore us up from that external perspective. Mm. And the external people help build our internal scaffolding so that we can do more and more on our own. And also I still go to people for guidance because, you know, I'm still a work in progress. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Hell yeah.
0: Thank you. Um, so I'm noting we got maybe 15, 20 minutes left, mm-hmm. uh, and I certainly have a whole boatload more questions, but is there yeah. anything you're feeling called to talk about right now?
1: No, look, I like I say, I feel absolutely safe and comfortable in your hands, and I love the way that you you ask what you're interested in because you're the reason – People are listening. Your curiosity is bringing people in. So I, I love going with your curiosity.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. So in your book, you talk about learning to be of service rather than in service to. Mm. Could you elaborate on that a bit?
1: Again, this comes down to that languaging of When I am in service to you, I am putting myself in an inferior position and I am putting you in a superior position. And this is where people pleasing comes from. We are putting people up on pedestals. We are making ourselves inferior from the start and them superior from the start. We're Mm. not on an even playing field. When we're of service to somebody, we are not saying that you are more advanced than me or I am more advanced than you. It's an evil playing field. It's just how can I serve you? I am no better or worse than my clients. I just have different skill sets Mm -hmm. as they have different skill sets from me. They're coming to learn from my skill sets as your clients will come to you to learn from your skill sets.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Doesn't mean we're better or worse than. But when we say that we are in service to people, it is like being in servitude. It is that servant role rather than the service role. And those words are so powerful because nobody should be in service to anybody else. Everybody has something to teach us. Children teach us incredible things Mm -hmm. as do, you know, people at the other end of the age spectrum and Mm -hmm. everybody in between. And so the more that we can pull into being of service to others, we can, I think, live our purpose from a much higher perspective.
0: Hmm. Thank you. I love the phrasing of that. Um, I'm a big fan of the law of one channel material and they make a big distinction, the big distinction between service to self and service to other. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
0: those two basic paths, they say a service to self is like just greedy. I just want what I want. I'll do anything to get it. I don't care if I cause people pain or harm by getting that Mm -hmm. and service to other is I just want to be a benefit to others in a way that it's a win win all the way around.
1: Yeah, and being of service to others, we do need to serve ourselves in a way that we can be of our best service to others so that we mm. are well rested, we are well nourished, we right. are we have our needs taken care of, because then we are giving from a full cup, not giving from a depleted source.
2: mm.
1: And so it's like plugging our battery in or putting on our oxygen mask first right. and then giving to people from that energy that we have created within ourselves.
0: Yeah. And if someone's not doing that, I would ask them, what's the martyr with you?
1: Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got that inside me, too.
0: You <laughs> we'll also talk about um, loving and mm-hmm how and along the same lines how self-love is so central if you really want to be able to love others and even receive love fully do you mind talking about that a bit
1: this is one of those really uh tricky areas to navigate i believe because often the languaging again funnily enough we come back to that used around self-love especially, say, on social media, is it's a very commodified, capitalist way of self-loving. It Mm. is get your massage, get this new skincare, get your facial done. It's all of this stuff that we have to buy or do. Mm. Self-love is also seen as, you know, rainbows and butterflies and unicorns and self-love is gritty and it's hard. Self-love is saying no. When we need to say no, self-love is setting strong boundaries and consequences for breaches of those boundaries, Mm -hmm. but with ourselves as well. It's us saying what we're going to do and then doing what we say we're going to do. It's us being in that alignment. Self-love has so many different facets that we need to look at to show up in a way that... We are firstly most loving towards ourselves. The statement out there often is that we can only receive as much love as we can love ourselves. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is true. And also, as someone who had no self love before, that feels very shaming. I don't love myself enough, therefore, I'm never going to receive love. Therefore, is it, you know? It kind of feels, yeah, yeah, it feels in that downward spiral. Whereas if we realize that self-love is a skill that we build, and I can tell you I've built it from literally the ground up, Mm. from where I was seven years ago when I left my marriage to now, It is an unbelievable difference because I've worked on it every single day. What is the most self-loving thing I can do today? What is the most self-loving thing I can do in this instant? For me to then come at everything from a more self-loving perspective so that I can love others to a greater perspective and also I can be loved and receive love at a greater respect. Perspective. So again, we've got the masculine, the giving of the love, and the feminine, the receiving of love being balanced out. Mm. And it is true, you can only give as much as you have. It's like those people who say, I'd die for my children. Yeah, but would you live for them?
2: Mm. (laughs)
1: Do you love yourself enough to live fully? And one of the questions I ask myself, and I still ask myself, is am I living the type of life I would want my children to live?
2: Mm.
1: Now, in every aspect in my marriage, I was not. I was not demonstrating a healthy love. I was not receiving a healthy love. It was toxic. We were not made for each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We were made for the reason of bringing these two beautiful souls into the world, and for that I will always have love for him. However, I also, as I said before, have the wrath of not condoning any of those behaviors
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And knowing that I made the best choice for everybody, the most loving choice for everybody in that family for me to leave, Mm -hmm. to give everybody else the chance to find a love in the way that they need to find love. And that was the most self-loving thing I could do, but also the most loving for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And yet it was one of the hardest decisions of my life. And so, again, it doesn't always come in an easy packaged this is the right way to do it, or this is the wrong way to do it, or this is the clear way to do it, sometimes it's not clear at all. We've got to sit with it Mm -hmm. and feel into it.
0: Mm. Thank you. Um, You also, there was, I was kind of overlining in your Kindle book as I was reading it, and I I didn't realize just how much wisdom (laughs) bombs I got until I got all the notes together. (laughs) So the next one I wanted to uh, get your idea on, you, you say, think about the comfort zone as the known, K-N-O-W-N mm-hmm. zone, which gives it more clarity and is a more apt description. So what is, why do you want to call what people call a comfort zone a known zone instead?
1: Because it's often comfortably uncomfortable. We're comfortable there because we know it, so it's familiar. My marriage was comfortable because it was known and it was familiar. I knew what I was going to get day to day. Mm-hmm. But from leaving, I had no idea. I'd had, you know, I didn't have a job, I was a full-time mum, I was financially dependent, I was, you know, (laughs) I had all these dependencies and all of a sudden I'm stepping out into this unknown place where I knew I would be emotionally better off, physically better off, Mm -hmm. but I had no idea about some of those more fundamental issues of, you know, financial security or safety or any of those things. Mm -hmm. And my known zone was, quite frankly, killing me. I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Mm, yeah. And and so we often stay in these uncomfortable places because they are familiar and we know them. It's not always comfortable. And that's the bit that I think has been mislabeled because we go, oh, no, but I'm comfortable where I am. You know, that's why we don't change the job or we don't leave the relationship or we don't make those decisions to move to a different city or cut people out of our lives if we have to. Oh, we'll keep them there because I've known them for 30 years. And, okay, you know, they treat me like crap. But, you know, we've known them for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Well, hang on. If they constantly violate your boundaries, maybe that is something you need to do. And it is uncomfortable. But stepping into that discomfort, stepping into the unknown is where we find our growth. It is where we find our purpose. It is where we find something different.
0: Yeah, I can can think of a couple of personal examples. I remember when I was in my early 40s and I had been working for this uh, food service company in Oklahoma for 15 years and had a very strong salary benefits company job. And every year I felt like I was dying a little more inside cause I'm supposed to be a singer songwriter. Right. And finally made the decision to leave. And they, they lured me for another year and a half with, you know, reasons to stay a little longer. But finally, when I did move into this completely unknown territory, it turns out to have led to the best things ever. And i remember my first plant spirit ceremony just being terrified because i hadn't done much drugs or anything i'm -hmm. I'm deliberately coming in here and i'm going to go into this wild psychedelic space i know nothing about and i'm terrified and and yet i'm going to go into this unknown zone anyway and i can vouch for what you're saying which is it's when i've faced the fear and and been courageous enough to take these what seemed like huge steps at the time that opened up the most amazing stuff ever and yeah. one of my favorite mottos is a level of consciousness cannot comprehend a level beyond itself. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I said this before we started recording or after, but we have no idea how amazing it can get yeah. if we're willing to leave the place we're in to go to something, yes, unknown, but potentially just incredible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for what it's worth, my experience, when you're willing to face the traumas, do the shadow work, when you're willing to take the bold step where your intuition is leading you, it always leads to a great place. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. And interesting, you know, I know you've mentioned shadow work a couple of times. A really important part of shadow work that, that I've done, which I haven't seen a lot of different people do, is also not just of owning and integrating the shadows, but looking for and accepting the light within ourselves. Because mm. I could own my shadows. I knew what a shitful human being I was. I'd been told for years. So all of the crappy things about me I was quite comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, learning to own that light, mm. that was confronting and that was hard because I hadn't been told that I was beautiful and light and vibrant and mm. All of those gorgeous things that I could see so readily and so easily in other people
2: mm-hmm.
1: I could not see it took ages of deep inner work for me to be able to see and own it within myself, and so I think we also need to remember to balance that shadow work of of owning those shadows with also learning to delve within and find our light dust off those lights that we're hiding. Mm-hmm. Within ourselves and learning to own them and integrate them as well,
0: yeah, so I, I just want to say I have a slightly different conception of shadow work mm. than you just described. Mm. Uh, I like the ifs technology they say we have all parts are welcome, yes, all parts are inherently full of light, mm. some parts are burdened, yes, so uh, rather than me saying i am I embrace and own this shadow, and I just ex- accept that this you know nasty thing is always going to be there, I say not mm. necessarily. I will embrace the part of me that got wounded or traumatized and I yes. will find a way to help it release that darkness so I can regain yeah. the light that it fundamentally is. Mm. But yes, there is light and dark always. Yeah. But my at least my experience has been that I can my self perception is I am much more identifying as a fundamental being of light mm. who might have been temporarily covered over by some darkness. If you yeah. if you're on the path of service to light and love. Yes. If you're on the path yeah. of darkness it's the opposite. <laughs> but Exactly. Exactly. That's just a a thought I had in response to that. Mm. I just want to. uh, We are nearing our time, and I know you have another interview soon. But um, I just want to observe in you. um, I what I've been feeling as you've been speaking for the last hour, a very huge openness, uh, a very clear luminosity, an authenticity. and that has just come through to me in spades and i'm sure our listeners and viewers have felt that as well and i just want to thank you for doing your journey to have come so far from having been beaten down so hard by all the influences that made you think you were less than what you are and to be continuing your amazing journey of opening and transformation and having the courage to say about write your book do your kinesiology work reach out get on podcasts and and help people see the light more clearly in themselves by demonstrating it in yourself and, you know, guiding them to what's in them. So, um, you're a beautiful light worker and thank you for what you're doing and, and all that you will do.
1: Oh, that is received with gratitude. And I have to say, you know, the same thing I knew as soon as we connected that there was something magical there. So, um, yeah, I, I really look forward to keeping in touch and learning more about, you know, your work and, I am going to be uh, getting your books as well so that I can have a little read Um, because I I think it's so important that we we do this work and that we have so many light beings around the world who are dusting off, you know, other people's lights, helping them find the light within themselves and helping them to reintegrate that into themselves. And I think it is such vital work for where we're at right now to help raise the consciousness of the planet.
0: Yeah, and to help encourage anyone who feels a little hopeless, my experience, I've, I've worked with a ton of clients too over the years, I'm sure you've had many, mm-hmm. and what I have found reported to me over and over again is where they say, when I just make up my mind that I'm going to heal, that I'm going to improve myself, that alerts the universe and they start sending helpers. Oh, it might yes. be internal world, they might be physical, they might be something happening in the external environment, but the universe, as soon as you say, I'm going to get better or I need help, they are in gear and they're sending you all the synchronicity they can. And your job is just to notice it, shall we go, yeah. and do yeah. what you can to, to move forward as best you can. But there is so much help people don't even realize. Yeah. yeah and way. I
1: think that's also part of where the slowing down and breathing comes in because as we slow down and breathe, we start noticing
2: mm-hmm. those
1: things coming in for us. You know, I often say that if I'm going through something, I will actually – walk out on I I walk the beach every morning and I'll walk out on the beach and I'll go okay who do I need to contact to help me with this and a name will drop in Mm
2: -hmm. I'll ring
1: them or I'll go online have a look and you know I had this beautiful example of it it was a Thursday I got a I got this woman's name in my head and I'm like oh why is that coming in and then that weekend I was going through well that last week had been going through some stuff. And then Tuesday morning, her name dropped in again. I looked online. She had an appointment at 2 o'clock that afternoon. Oh, my gosh. And it just happened to be in the gap between my clients to give me not just time for the appointment to get there and back but also then time to just sit and integrate it before I then had my afternoon, evening Mm. clients. And I'm like, okay, thank you, guys. You know, it was just (laughs) that divine guidance of go, go, See how you need to see this mm-hmm. person. And when you start listening to seeing those little synchronicities, as you say, more and more breadcrumbs get put in front of you that you notice, and it's just such a magical way to live.
0: And it just gets better and better, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. So, so you work as a kinesiologist. Does mm-hmm. that only in person work, or do you work with people remotely?
1: I work with people everywhere, I've got um clients in the States and in Vietnam and throughout Australia, and it's it, the way I, I describe it is it's tuning into their radio station. it's mm. It's you know the same way that we have here. We've been able to feel each other, we've been able to connect with one another, we're we're tuned in to each other's radio station, and that's the way I work online. And I do a mix of you know kinesiology coaching, whatever else comes through, really. Um, from my own wisdom and experience, and, you know, we put together the the program that works best for where you're at. Um, and part of the reason I call myself a transformational coach and kinesiologist is that I'm never going to guarantee you what result we're going to get for so the simple fact that I'm not God <laughs> and spirit always works in this Sorry about that. I hate to disappoint you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I believe in God because I figure if we're the highest power we are, we're all screwed. Um, <laughs> but in that, it's it's it is for me. It's it's that way of going. I trust that Spirit will work through me mm-hmm. to facilitate your journey in the way that is most needed for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I I tend to go. I know you'll be a different person when we finish working together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just don't know what that's going to look like. <laughs>
0: So if someone is inspired to work with you, how would they contact you?
1: Just look on my website, amandakate.com.au, and all my social links are there and all the rest of it.
0: And that's amandakate.com? .au. I'm sorry. Yes. I've
1: (laughs) I've got the extra bit on the end. Of
0: course you have to. You're in Australia. Okay. Yes. Um, any other thing you'd like to know about, of course, this podcast will be up there for years. Um, anything else you'd like people to know about you or your work or any opportunities with you that would be timeless to mention?
1: I, I would actually just say something about them, which is you always have the answer within you. Sometimes we just need somebody else to help bring those answers to the forefront, but you are the one with the answers in you.
0: Mm. Oh, that resonates so strongly. Thank you.
1: Mm.
0: Any last words before we wrap up here?
1: No, just thank you for the work you're bringing into the world. I'm so appreciative of you. And yeah, I cannot wait to dive more into your work. So thank you. Thank you. And
0: everything about how to contact Amanda will be in the show notes. So, um, again, so honored to have a person of your amazing vibration on the show. You have uplifted me. I'm sure you've all sorts of great juju that the guests have picked up whether are the watchers and listeners whether it's concrete information whether it's just the vibrational shift because of what you hold so thank you I'm so honored to have had you thank you Amanda Uh,
1: thank you it's mutual
0: let me once again express my deep appreciation to Amanda Kate for taking so much of her time to share so many of her wonderful insights with us Earlier, I mentioned my Amazon number one best-selling book, Instant Divine Assistance, Your Complete Guide to Fast and Easy Spiritual Awakening, Healing, and More. On February 21st, 2023, Margaret wrote a five-star Amazon review of my book headlined, Seems Too Good to Be True, But It Works. She wrote, From the first time I did Benjamin's invocations, my mind chatter stopped. Energy came down through the top of my head and I felt a deep peace and calm. I've been on my spiritual path for many years now and was amazed how quickly these invocations worked. Now I use these two practices before my regular daily meditation and have noticed a shift in my daily life of feeling much more ease and flow throughout the day. In addition, I've noticed a softening of my hip pain since using the healing invocation. As others have said, the book is easy to read and has very clear instructions. Benjamin's website has an abundance of information to help those who want more support. I would highly recommend giving these invocations a try. Thank you, Margaret, for that wonderful review. Right now, the ebook is only $3.99 and is included with Kindle Unlimited, and the paperback is only $12.99. Also, Awakening Plus events support your individual healing and awakening, as well as global spiritual awakening. Not a member yet? Join one of our free events. Two calls are open to the public each month. Experience how Awakening Plus can accelerate your personal evolution. Learn more at AwakeningPlus.com. That's Awakening, P-L-U-S.com. And speaking of Awakening Plus, I accidentally let February slip by without announcing that month's winner of a one-year membership to Awakening Plus worth $189. February's free one-year membership winner is Sara, that's spelled S-A-R-A, and it's the only Sara who has signed up on the contest. So, Sara, if you're hearing this, send me an email, benjamin at and we will get you set up with your free one-year membership. Congratulations. And to everybody, thank you for being here. Once again, I'm Benjamin Bernstein, and we are wrapping up. Please leave me a five-star rating, review, or comment wherever you're getting this episode so that others can also awaken, heal, and thrive. And be sure to click the link in the show notes for a chance to win one free year of my Awakening Plus online membership. Thanks again for spending this time with me. I wish you infinite blessings.